Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. Hey, y'all. Wow, was that not like the most incredible worship set? Was it just me? You know, sometimes it just kind of hits you where you are. And uh, I guess that's every week. <laughs> I guess that's every week. But, man, it was just sweet for me this morning. It really was incredibly sweet. Um, y'all ready? Thinking. That's scary when I start thinking. All right, let's jump in. How many, how many of you would say that you're probably, probably, an above-average driver. You know what I'm talking about? Above-average driver. I mean, you know traffic laws. You know those pretty well. You try to watch your speed. You know how to navigate in some difficult situations. Come on, y'all with me? How many of y'all could, like, take a big truck and, and parallel park a big truck? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's awesome. For those of us that can do that. But, but here's the burden that we carry for being above average drivers. The burden that we carry really is that we think that it gives us the right to complain about those who are not really that good of drivers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm terrible at this. I just want to confess, I'm terrible. If my wife was here, she's not, she's, she's in Tennessee this morning, but if she was here and she's maybe watching online and she is telling people right now, he is like so right. He's terrible at this. He's the worst. I really am. If you've ever maybe said under your breath, who are we kidding? I've said it out loud. As I have gone around people, I have said, where did you get your driver's license? Walmart? Anybody else? You ever say anything like that? How many of you, how many of you have been on the interstate and it drives you nuts that the person in the left lane, which we all know is the passing lane, hello? What lane is it? It's the passing lane. Or for some of us like to call it the fast lane. And they're doing the speed limit or less. This is the truth. Karen and I were, were coming, we were actually coming back from Tennessee. This has been, I don't know, a few months ago. There was a guy in the right-hand lane that was passing some cars as he could, and he, I don't know how he was doing this, but he was the driver, and he was holding up a sign, get out of the fast lane. I thought it was awesome. I said, Karen, make me one of those signs. I really am. I'm like the worst of the worst. But you know what? We complain about all sorts of things, don't we? We go to a refrigerator full of food, and we say, there's nothing in here to eat. We turn on a television with over 200 channels, and what do we say? That's nothing to watch. We go to a closet. For some of us, we go to a big walk-in closet, and we, we look at a closet filled with clothes, and we say, yeah. 
It's amazing how blessed we are and yet how ungrateful we can be. It really is. And to be very honest, by nature, I'm not naturally a grateful person. I wasn't really raised with that mindset. I really wasn't. And, I, and even though I could, you know, like blame it on my childhood somehow, I don't think it was my childhood. I think really somehow in me was I'm just, I'm just not naturally a grateful person. I used to say it was because I'm a leader, and as leaders, we're always looking to, to push for the next best thing. We're always looking ahead, and so we never celebrate where we are. And sometimes we become critical of things. We're a little bit negative. I have to admit that by nature I want more, I want better, I want faster, I want newer. I want the latest technology, and Lord only knows why I want the latest technology. I don't know how to work it. I mean, I'll get that new iPhone and go, you know, a year, two years later when the next one is out, I'll say, I didn't know my phone would do that, <laughs> you know. I mean, it would be like opening up a brand new present at Christmas when I find out what my phone will actually do. That's why over the last few years, I say last few years, there have been two things that have radically changed my life. Two things, honestly, that have radically changed my life. That's why I'm so excited about the message this morning. Two things that have changed me. And one is just the blood of Jesus, honestly. It's, it's the cross and what the cross literally means. And it's processing that. And it's processing that as I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross and, and who I am in Christ, my position in Christ. And and, and that has absolutely changed my life. But I'm telling you, gratitude has changed my perspective on life. Listen to me. I, I didn't know this in the beginning. I just knew that I really stunk when it came to being grateful. And I, I knew that. And I knew that I should be more grateful and I should be more thankful. And I knew that and I started to pursue that. But what I didn't understand was what the outcome would be. I had no earthly idea that it would change my perspective on life. I didn't know it would give me peace. I didn't know that. I didn't know that suddenly after learning how to be a more grateful person that I would, I would have more peace in my heart. I didn't know that. I had no earthly idea that being grateful would lead me to peace and contentment. I didn't know that in the beginning. And honestly, the two things that have radically changed me more than anything in the world is just learning how to be grateful. So that's obviously, that's our word for today, it's just gratitude. I want to show you this interesting story in Luke's gospel that honestly, I think, probably describes us a lot more than we want to admit. And if you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard this text before, it won't be your first time. If you've been here for a number of years, this won't be the first time that you've heard that, this text. But please be careful not to just hear it, let it sink in. And to think, maybe, maybe could this apply to me? Luke 17. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was going into a village. As he was going into a village, ten men. How many men? It's really important. Ten men who had leprosy met him. Okay, you're in church, it's Sunday morning, you've probably heard the leprosy thing before. It's not your first time. Here's the, here's, the, here's the danger of hearing a story over and over and over and over again. And maybe, maybe being in church and hearing Scripture over and over and over again, but missing the relevance and the power of it. So maybe you're thinking, okay, lepers, no big deal. Well, it was really a big deal. According to Leviticus 13, 
Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be kept. Let their hair be unkept. I have no earthly idea what that means. I mean, I did. I really did. I thought, what's your hair being a mess? I would think you got leprosy. The least thing you can do is comb your hair. You know, that'd be what I would be thinking. Y'all aren't going with me there at all. But I'm weird, so these things come to my mind. Cover the lower part of their face, and they cry out, "Unclean, unclean." Their body would literally be oozing with sores. Those sores, as I understand it, would be incredibly painful. They could be asleep at night and have a finger or a toe chewed off by a rat. After this nasty disease gets to those outer extremities, then you're numb. So uh, you wouldn't even feel the pain. You just wake up in the morning and be like me. You go, oh, whoa, that sucker's gone. I used to have leprosy. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I used to pick my nose in a booger bed it off. That's what happened. You can't believe I said that either, can you? <laughs> my wife is, boy, she's online. She's going, stop him. I read that the physical pain would have been terrible, but there would have been also the terrible emotional pain. Maybe the emotional pain was the greatest pain of all. There's the devastation of isolation because they had to be kept in isolation, completely separate from those without the disease. There would have been nobody to talk to unless maybe other lepers. There would have been no physical contact. They would have been away from their family and their friends and the people that they loved. There would have been no one to hug them, to console them, to tell them that everything was going to be all right. So when they see Jesus, and I think this is important. I probably should have just stayed here a little bit longer since they stood at a distance, and I thought, wow. They were respectful, even understanding that Jesus, I don't know what they knew about Jesus, I don't know their concept of Jesus, but what they knew was that this man could possibly make a difference. And rather than running to him, they stood at a distance. They were respectful. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Well, of course they did. They were desperate. Then it says, when they saw them, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them. How many? One out of how many? One out of ten. Hmm. One of them. When he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And this last part is really, 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 really important. And he was a Samaritan. Why is that important? Well, the readers of the text would have known exactly why this was important, if, especially if you were a Jew, if you were a Samaritan, because those two groups did not get along. Both were Jewish. Both had the same worship, the same God. But the Samaritans were looked down on by the Jews. Why? Well, because they had, 
long story, they had intermarried with some other folks from a different religion, and so they felt like that their, their religion had been watered down, and so they weren't pure Jews. And so literally, these Samaritans were looked on as being half-breeds. That's what they were called. They were just half-breeds. So this would have been really odd for a Samaritan and a Jew to interact with each other. And so he is taking this whole gratitude thing to a level that we can't even understand on a Sunday morning. We're missing it. Well, if God's taught me anything over the last few weeks, is sometimes we read over text way too quick. Sometimes we need to sit with it just for a while and let God speak. So Jesus asked, we're not all... Ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this? What, what's, he, what's that word? I, so really, I mean, I, you assume that the other nine were, were Jewish. That their heritage was pure. Their worship of God was pure. They had kept it pure. And so, so Jesus recognizes, you got to be kidding me. The one guy who probably wouldn't want to have anything to do with me because I'm a Jew, even if he understands who I am or not, this is, this is the one guy, this foreigner, this guy that literally knows that people like me have called a half-breed. Not that Jesus would have called him a half-breed, you understand, but Jews in general. Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Ten lives were miraculously changed. Ten lives went from no hope to hope. Ten, ten lives went from a life of abandonment, being abandoned by your family, by your friends, by the people that you love the most in this world, by your community. They, they went from, from not having a normal life, from being ostracized, to being looked down on, to even if you were to attempt to go anywhere remotely that would be considered to engage with someone else, you had to cry out from a distance unclean. And their lives went from that kind of abnormal to normal. Just like that. It's a miracle. But only one out of the ten came back with a heart of gratitude. And honestly, I, I, it's been me more times than I can count. And again, I've blamed it on, I, I, for years I said, well, I'm a leader. I'm a visionary leader. And so I'm always thinking of the future. And so because I'm always thinking of the future, I, I'm too critical of where we are in the present. I don't look to the past. I certainly don't celebrate the past very well. And even in the present, I don't look for what we did well. I look for what we did wrong. How can we make it better? But that's just an excuse. So what I want to do this morning that I'm really so excited about is I want, I want to give you three statements that have helped me. And, and I'm telling you, these three, three, three statements, if you'll just apply them to your life, I'm telling you, they're going to change you. They, listen, they're going to give you peace where there is no peace. There just are. They, it's going to bring a contentment. It's going to bring a joy to your life. And, and you, I, listen, I've never heard a message that I've ever heard 
that was like this. I, I, you know, gratitude, I'm supposed to be grateful, I'm supposed to be thankful. I got that. You know what? You, hello, have y'all heard that message? I mean, somebody took the Bible and beat the snot out of me with it, and I said, okay, you got me. I know I should be more grateful. I know I should be more thankful. What I didn't, what nobody ever told me was the beauty of what comes out of it. I missed it. Until I started to apply it to my own life. Here's the first statement. And I've changed this so many times. I even changed it again this morning. And, and so they had to change it and put it on the screen. Here, here's the first point. God is consistently good. I could have said he is completely good. I could have said God will never be anything other than good. He can't help but be good. I, I could have said all those different things. I could have said I am convinced that he's consistently good. And I actually had that for a while. James 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. When you run through a list of people in the Bible, maybe, maybe we would even say, if when you run through a list of heroes in the Bible, and when you look at all the great things that they were able to accomplish, it becomes crystal clear. It becomes crystal clear that God was consistently good to provide everything they needed to be successful. None of these people were successful on their own. In fact, they would have miserably failed if God had not shown up with the right thing at the right time. Noah. Take Noah, for example. God gave Noah a plan to build an ark. That's got to be pretty, like, off the chart, don't you think? Oh, you've heard that story, see? So, no, no big deals in the Bible. How did he know how to build an ark? He'd never seen an ark before. It's not like he said, you know what? My neighbor's got an ark. And it's a really cool ark, but I think I'm going to build an ark, and I'm going to have leather seats in mine. They never known such a thing. Not only, not only did he give him the plan, he had to have the ability to build something that he had never seen before. There had to be this amount of creativity and skill and craftsmanship that had to come with that. I think it's an amazing story if you take your Sunday glasses off and start to read it through the lens, maybe, of an unbeliever for the very first time. God gave the children of Israel bread from heaven. I love bread. So bread might not be a big thing to you, but I'm thinking, wow. I wonder if it's those big yeast rolls. It was, man, I get it, I get it. Just let me have my fun, okay? Because I'm thinking it came with honey butter. I'm just saying. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them. He gave a little shepherd boy, David. And, I, I, you know, it just, took, it just took one stone. It's not like he missed four times before he finally connected with the last one. Y'all with me? So I, did he just give him five just for the fun of it? I don't know. I've heard other people say, I'm not sure. I'm not smart enough to figure that one out. He gave a young teenage girl named Mary the faith to say yes. He gave her the faith to say yes. When faith is so much more in that circumstance than we could possibly imagine. And he gave her the faith to say yes and give birth to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior of the world. He gave Joseph an angel to comfort him. The earthly father of Jesus who couldn't possibly wrap his brain around this thing that was happening to this 
this young girl that was his espoused wife. He gave wise men a star to lead them. God constantly provided all the good things these folks needed to succeed. Then I really got to thinking, I thought, well, you know what? It's not just that, though. He gave an Old Testament guy, a guy named Jonah. Y'all, even if you're not, you know, if you're brand new to church, everybody's heard of Jonah in the well, right? Everybody's heard of that story, right? Well, he, so he, he provided, he gave, <laughs> he provided, I don't know what the right word is, this guy named Jonah, a fish to swallow him up. Well, if I had been Jonah, I would have said, you know, another boat would have been, like, really cool. It would have been just as good. Because, come on, you know, like, you're thrown over and a fish swallows you and you're there for three days and you, you don't die. You've got to be thinking, really? Just go ahead and take me out. I'll tell you what the story of Jonah reminds me of. Man, this is awesome. It reminds me that things may get worse before they get better. Anybody out there? It teaches me that things may get worse before they get better, that you may sink further down before you get thrown up. I like that. It teaches me this story of Jonah teaches me that what at first may look like a curse, that if you'll just hang on, if you'll just hang on, that what may look like a curse indeed will be a blessing, maybe the greatest blessing of your life. Come on now, that's good. Where y'all at? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Even when things look bad. Even when things look bad, we can trust God to consistently turn the negative into a positive. God gives us the Holy Spirit. So I wrote this sentence, and my next word is to comfort us. I was going to say convict, but I thought, let's start off with a positive. Y'all <laughs> don't even know what I'm talking about. It's all the goody two-shoe crowd. You don't even know, Right? So he, he gives us the Holy Spirit to comfort us, and he does give us the Holy Spirit to convict us and to guide us and to counsel us. He gives us his word to direct us. He gives us family and friends to love us. He puts food on our table. He gives us the strength to go to work every day to earn the money that we need to be able to buy the food to put on our table. Every Good thing that we have comes from God. God is, is completely good. God is consistently good. He is constantly good. God will never be anything other than good. God cannot be less than good. Come on, are y'all out there? Man, this is good preaching. Pat myself on the back. I'm just kidding. Everything God does is good. Everything God does is good. You, you don't hear me. Everything God does is good. And when we embrace it, it'll change your perspective on life. It's honestly changed my perspective on life. Statement number two. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. I will not let what I want 
rob me of what I have. A lot of us are looking for something better. We want a better car, a better house, a better job, better clothes, a better spouse. I don't know. That get too close to home maybe for somebody. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 6. He says, better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Gratitude turns whatever I have into enough. Oh, come on, you didn't hear me. Being grateful. Gratitude turns whatever it is that I have right now into enough. It's enough. It's not happy people that are grateful. It's grateful people that are happy. Oh, come on, that's good. Let me say that one more time. It's not happy people that are grateful. It's grateful people that are happy. So I want you to think about what you have. It's going to be difficult. We're spoiled. We're absolutely spoiled in this country. We all have enough to eat. Some of us, we got a little too much. Some of us could cut back just a shade on all the food that we have to eat. Could we not? Everybody here has a, has a bed to sleep in. You got clothes to wear. I mean, nobody here is naked as far as I know. You'd like stand out in the crowd, that's for sure. Every, everybody here has got a bed to sleep in. You got clothes to wear. Most of us have more than one pair of shoes. And if you only have one pair of shoes, if you will see my sister-in-law, Teresa Childs, she's got like a whole closet full of shoes. She's got like two closets full of shoes. I think even this past, in the last few days, she bought another pair of shoes. It's crazy. So just see her if you need some shoes. And we have all kinds of shoes. We have all kinds of shoes. We have shoes for every occasion. We got work shoes, church shoes, exercise shoes, golf shoes, tennis shoes, yard shoes, house shoes, high heel shoes, and pumps. I don't know if pumps are real. I just heard that over the years. I don't know what a pump is. I don't know if it comes with a pump and it pumps you. I don't know. I have no idea what that means. I just threw it in. I just thought it sounded good. I'm just saying that we got shoes galore. We're extraordinarily blessed. We have a cell phone that operates like a computer. It's crazy. You can cough, text, or FaceTime a friend. I mean, I wonder who calls anymore. You know, there are a few people. Have you ever found yourself on the phone and go, wow, it's been a while. Like, you can really make a phone call. And I notice that more and more people will FaceTime, especially, you know, my girls. I, we get to FaceTime. It's awesome. I even hear that you can send a signal up from your phone up into the heavens, and a pizza will show up at your door. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I hear. Most of us are so blessed that we actually upgrade the things that we have that's not broke. Y'all remember, anybody here old enough remember that when you got something new because the old one broke? Hello, anybody? Anybody remember that? Why did you get a new phone? Because mine broke. I dropped it in the toilet. It, it, it broke. Now it's waterlogged and nasty. Any, anybody? Now, here's the, so now we just upgrade because we heard that there's a new version. There's a newer version of the same thing that we already have. And so we'll do whatever we, because we have to have the new and improved and the better Faster, whatever. 
we have so much and yet we're so many of us are, are so dissatisfied and we want more. If I could, I've said this so many times over the years, if I could, I would make it mandatory that every, I said member, I would make it mandatory that every single person that ever attends this church, that you have to sign an agreement that you'll go to Guatemala with me at least one time for one week. It's an amazing trip. It's a, it's a longer trip than you might think. It's, Guatemala's not that far. It's only about a four-hour flight, but you got to count the time that we leave here, about 3 o'clock in the morning. It's crazy, and then we drive to Atlanta because we're too cheap to fly out of GSP. And, and then you get to G, then so there's hours of wait there, and then you get on the plane, and then it's about a four-hour flight, and then you get there, you got about a four, who am I kidding, about a five-hour, for some of the bus drivers that we have. Think that they're NASCAR drivers. I mean, literally, it's craziest thing in, in bumpy roads. And then you get there, and so you think you're going to be a blessing to these people. And you here's the thing that will mess you up. They have absolutely nothing. And they're happier than we are. And it'll mess you up. It'll just mess you up. You think, I'm here to share the gospel. And radically change your life because you have nothing. Suddenly, instead of feeling sorry for them, you feel sorry for yourself because they have, you have so much, and yet they have so little. They have so little, and yet they have so much. Gratitude turns whatever we have into enough. When I just focus on what I have, and I say, Lord, thank you. I don't deserve what I've got. Everything I have is a gift from you, Lord. It's a gift. It's because I have a good, good father and, and that, you know what, and God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I'm going to be honest. God has given me so many of my wants. It's, been, it's stupid. It's crazy. And am I a prosperity theologian? I am not. See, it's not happy people that are grateful. It's grateful people that are happy. Paul said in this Philippians 4, he said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And here's what he said. He said, but you know what? It doesn't even, it doesn't even matter. Because I'll tell you what I've learned. I've learned the secret of being content. In whatever state I'm in, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, I have, if, I have, if I'm hungry or it doesn't matter if I'm well fed. It doesn't, even, it doesn't matter if I have a lot of money. It doesn't matter if I don't have any money. Because once you get to that place, suddenly what you realize, listen, this is, this, is, this, is, this is crucial. What you learn is that Jesus is enough. He's enough. If I didn't have anything else, I got him, it's enough. It's enough. And then when I have him, boy, that verse 13 pops. Then through Christ, through his strength, I can do all things. He's all I need. So I recognize that God is constantly good. I do the very best I can to make sure that I'm not going to let what I want rob me of what I have. And then here's the last one. And it's, it's, it's bigger than you think. See, I have got to learn how to turn every blessing into a praise. There's a difference. 
I can recognize that it's a blessing and still not turn it into a praise. Why is that important? I read this. I wish I knew who said it. I have no earthly idea. But I thought it was awesome. Someone said that every time we don't turn a blessing into a praise, it turns into pride. Psalm 63. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I'm going to lift up my hands. There's all kind of theories, schools of the power of raising your hands and what that does, a form of surrender. For me, sometimes it's, it's literally to turn my palms like, like I did when I was a kid and say, Lord, I just want to crawl up in your arms. Will you just reach down and will you just take me? I've said it so many times over the years. You know, you know where I long to be? You know the sweetest place for me to be? Is to be in the arms of Jesus and to be so close to Jesus that I can feel his breath on my face. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So how do we become thankful and praise God? I'm going to do a little exercise. It's going to be difficult for us. Some of you... It won't be as hard because you've experienced some of these things. I want you to think of right now, I want you to think of something that you, that you really, 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 really love and that you value. Think of some of those things right now, just some of those things in your head that I really, really love and I really value and pretend like you just lost it. How about your job? Now, it's interesting when we talk about jobs, isn't it? Because honestly, I hear most people complain about their job. That's what I hear most of the time. I, I, occasionally, I, so I heard somebody, it might have been yesterday, I can't remember now, that talked about, I love my job. I really, really love what I do. But most of the time, I, what I hear is I hate my job. I hate my job. The people I work with, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. I don't make enough. They don't pay me enough. I work in too many hours. I mean, I hate, I hate my job. But just pretend, just for a minute, that you lost it. You lost it, and now you're unemployed with no money coming in to pay the bills. You're broke. And you're like most Americans, you're only one paycheck away from being, from being homeless. How about your health? What if you just got the news that you, got, that you have stage 4 cancer? I know somebody this week that got that news. What if someone you love, your spouse, your child, a friend, was just killed in a tragic car accident? Take something like that, pretend that you lost it. I say some of you already understand what that feels like because you've had loss. <laughs> Look at two beautiful, sweet women right here that can tell you what that feels like. I remember the day that we heard that Karen had cancer. How did you do? You're a pastor. Weren't you a man of great faith? For a day, I, I thought I'd lose, lose my mind. I cried, and I was scared out of my mind for about a day or a few hours of that day with the thought of losing her. Now, pretend like you just got it back. 
Pretend like you just got it back. You didn't lose your job. You don't have cancer. Your wife, your child, your best friend didn't die. Would you be, how thankful would you be for the miracle? Please don't miss the power of this. It's, it's, so, it's so much bigger. And I'm not just preaching to you on a Sunday morning and preaching at you. I want you to know that I quite literally go through this process every single morning of my life, somewhere in the neighborhood of 4.30. I want to get God when he's fresh. I'm just kidding. And I start off my day, I'm just so grateful that God loves me. <laughs> he loves me. He's crazy about me. He's forgiven me of all my sins. I focus on what he did on the cross, and I'm so blown away with what he did on the cross, and it's hard for me to contain myself. And then I think, as I think about the blood that was shed and all that he did, I said, my account is marked, paid in full. And I start every day thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm forgiven. And then I always think about my beautiful wife. I'm still head over heels in love with her. It's a, it's a sappy story. It really is. I left her yesterday in, in Tennessee, and I'm, I'm coming home, and my heart is already aching. I just love being with her. She's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. She's incredibly smart. She's amazing. She wouldn't tell you this, and she's not here, so I'm going to tell you. She's actually the COO of a company. She's not just a pretty face. She's incredibly smart. She's wise, not just smart, not just book smart, not just the ability to do a job. She, she brings wisdom to the table. People want to come to my wife, and they want to ask her for her wisdom. And when she speaks, she's like E.F. Hutton. People listen. I have the most incredible relationship with my two children. They still love to hang out with their dad. They'll call me. Can we just do lunch? Dad, we haven't spent time together in a while. We, we can go to Lake Robinson and, and, and we can take some stand-up boards. And we can just get out on the water and we don't go anywhere. We just float and we just talk. And we just hang out and we just talk. And they still, they still enjoy being with this old man. They still ask me for, for wisdom. They ask me what I think. Dad, what, what do you think? It's crazy. They're amazing. I'm blessed with an amazing son-in-law. He, he's so amazing. He is the most, he reminds me of Karen. He, he, he has the patience of Job. And the one thing that I prayed for for all the years was that he would love my daughter well, and he loves my daughter well. I've been blessed to be the pastor of an amazing church. 
That's your yay. I'm I'm not kidding you. I had the opportunity to sit with a friend yesterday, and I was able to look at him and say, "Man, I am so blessed. We know what we we know who we are as as a people. We we know who we are. We know what we've been called to do." There, there are churches that struggle to know that. They don't have purpose. They don't have vision. They don't, they don't have that. And, and I look at us as a whole, as a church, collectively, we understand what we've been called to do. We, we love people. We love people well. We love people well. And we, we long to give to our community and to be better in our community and to be Jesus in our community. I have the most amazing staff. You don't know. So many of you are unchurched. You don't have any idea. We have a group of staff that, that there have been several of those staff that have been offered positions multiple times at mega churches. One of those mega churches right here in this town. And what I can't understand, why are they still here? Because they bought into a vision, into a dream. I have the most amazing friends. Is this taking too long? I go through this every day. I have the most amazing friends. I have friends that look at me and will say, how are you doing? How, how are you doing? No kidding. How are you doing? I've had friends over the last few months to look at me and say, we can tell that you're carrying something. What can, how can we help carry that? And, and I've looked at them and I've said, I wish I could tell you, but you know what? I can't. I, I, can't, I just can't. I can't give you names and I can't. And, and you wouldn't want me to because you would want to know that you could trust me with whatever confidence. And I can't share, but I have friends that want to carry that burden. I have amazing friends. May I never forget the good things that God has blessed me with. And here's the reality. The reality is, is that the Bible teaches me, Scripture teaches me that I don't deserve anything good. (laughs) Truth of it is, is that I have sinned and I have fallen so short of what God wants from me. My sin has separated me from God. But the amazing good news is that I have been made right with God, not by my good works, not by any kind of religious activity, not by trying to be good enough or to do better. The only way that I've been made right with God, get this, watch this, y'all, y'all with me? It's just by His grace. That's it. It's just by His grace. So this is why I'm grateful. It's changed my life. I'm content. I'm at peace. I have joy. Because I have a Heavenly Father that is consistently good. And I pray to the point that I never allow my wants to rob me of what I have and that I can take every blessing and turn it into a praise because I can thank God if it weren't by, but by your grace you've been so good how about you so if you're here this morning and I confessed in front of y'all so it shouldn't be that hard for y'all to confess in front of the rest of us is I struggle I struggle sometimes I tend to be a little negative you know what I'm not as grateful as I should be if that's you could you slip up your hand could you just be honest enough to say yeah man I struggle there 
then look at me. And what I've tried to do this morning is give you some tools. And I don't, it works for me. Can I just tell you that this stuff works for me? And it's changed me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, <laughs> what in the world? Why? Why would you not? I have the I have the sweetest job, don't I? I get to stand and I get to look at people and say, "So I'm telling you this morning that you're a sinner. Like you're bad to the bone." That's not the good news, right? <laughs> that's not the good news. The good news is, is that there's a God that's absolutely crazy about you. And what he longs for is to be in a relationship with you. And he's provided the way. Jesus, God's son, went to the cross. And on the cross, he shed his blood. And he shed his blood to pay the penalty for all of our sin. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. He's alive. And what you feel this morning is, is the power of of God, the presence of God, that is incredible, is it not? And right now, he says, give me, just give me your life, all your brokenness, all your mess. Give it to me. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, And maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you'd just say, God, it's so hard to believe that you could love me. Your love is amazing. It's almost, it's almost too good to be true. So all I know to do this morning is to humbly say, wow, and to ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. I can't explain it all. I, I cannot fathom it all, but I'm going to, by faith, trust in that, Jesus, you paid the penalty for all my sin. And by faith, I accept the fact that you are alive. You are not dead. And to the best of my ability, I'm asking for forgiveness, and I want to surrender my life to you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for allowing me the privilege of being able to share with some folks some of those things that you've taught me over the years and how it's changed me, Lord. It's changed me. It's changed my perspective on life. To be so thankful, to be so grateful for all that I have. I pray, Lord, that you will just, uh, through all that we've been through, Lord, maybe this pandemic has slowed us down, and hopefully it slowed us down enough to not become negative and ungrateful, but, Lord, to be very thankful for what we have. You're awesome. It's in your sweet name that we pray. <laughs>